What up, fam? I'm so glad to be with you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're glad you're joining us this weekend. Hope that you are awake, maybe had your coffee. Hope you got your Bible, your notes, you're ready. I hope you enjoyed that worship. Worship was amazing. And so now we're going to jump in. We're in a series, as you just saw in our video, called The Struggle is Real Quarantine Edition. And we've kind of been using some movie titles to, to play with these themes. And today, we're going to do a little throwback to a classic called Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Now, if you don't know what that is, you can Google it. Uh, you can ask your parents. Uh, they probably know what it is. This is a classic from the late 80s. And it's interesting because it's about a man who is an inventor, played by Rick Moranis. And he plays a man who is uh, kind of obsessed with finding the next big thing. And so he comes up with all kind of machines. He's kind of got this weird scientist, mad scientist vibe going on and one of the machines he one of the machines he comes up with uh, the intention is to try to shrink things and enlarge things well he can't get it to work so he says you know what it's over I tried he's done with the dream it didn't work he knows it's kind of a defunct effort and he knows that things not working so he's like I'm gonna throw it away I'm gonna get rid of it but he doesn't he walks out of the attic and and leaves it up there and so what happens is uh, some kids in the neighborhood are playing around a baseball accidentally hits the machine triggers it and of course this time it works and so it shrinks these children to the size of a quarter of an inch so it shrinks them down to this like ridiculously small size. And if you watch the movie, don't judge the graphics. You know, it was the late 80s. We did the best we could with what we had. But it shrinks the kids down to this small size. And then his kids, because those were some neighborhood kids, then his kids come in and they're trying to figure out what's going on and they get shrunk too. And so the entire movie becomes this big chase to number one, figure out what happened to the kids. And once they realize the kids accidentally got swept in the trash and put out in the backyard, then the movie becomes this whole adventure of trying to find the kids and bring them back home and obviously get them back to normal size. So the movie actually is comedic. It's supposed to be funny. It's interesting. It's a little off kilter. But if you think about the underlying issue what started this whole thing, it's a man who, who had a dream that he did not want to let go because he was trying to create the next big thing. He said, this thing is going to be bigger than electricity. He's trying to create the next big thing. And when the dream did not work, when it became dysfunctional, because he did not discard it, because he didn't deal with it, children got involved and their lives were negatively impacted. So it's really someone who, who had some dysfunction, uh, a dream that didn't, didn't work or something dysfunctional in their lives. And now children stumbled onto the thing that should have been discarded, should have been dealt with. And then they became negatively impacted. And I wonder how often in our lives, when we think about this idea of parenting or the village of parenting, the entire concept, how many times is it because we as parents or maybe our own parents had dreams that they were trying to push onto us or had dysfunction that they did not deal with and we were negatively impacted? How many times has the unhealthiness in the parent become something that's passed on to the children? So today, I want us to talk about what it means biblically to, to parent in a healthy way because only healthy parents can raise healthy kids. Now, before you walk away and say, I'm not a parent, maybe you are a part of a parenting village. So for grandparents, godparents, aunts, depending on where you're from, aunties, uncles, cousins, friends, you are part of the village, and as parents, we need you to partner with us. Your role is very significant. How many of us have been significantly impacted by a godmother, a grandmother, an aunt, a family friend because they spoke truth to us? Your role in the village is very important. 
Well, maybe you're not in a parenting village. Maybe you're not a parent. Maybe you're single. Maybe you have no kids. This is still important because you might learn today how to be a better friend to your parents, how to see your parents differently, how to forgive, be more gracious, understand the road they were trying to navigate. Uh, Either way, parenting is something that we have to understand because it has a world impact. I can tell you why, because the Bible promises us that if we do it well, we can change the world, which means if we don't do it well, we will not change the world. We will negatively affect our children and those around them. It's a big deal, y'all. Listen, and I know that there's a million different things that we can agree on and disagree on. That's what, that's what parenting is about. If you are married or you're co-parenting maybe with an ex, y'all are going to disagree on a lot of things. Everything from potty training to education to discipline to dating to money. But maybe you're a single parent. And you've got all kinds of unsolicited advice. That's what happens. Your friends and your mom and your dad and people who are trying to support you and help you, they give you lots of advice on all of these topics on how to raise your kids. Uh, Maybe you're in the parenting village and you've got your own opinions too. Uh, How do you fit into this? Everybody has a role. You're either a parent, you're part of the village, you're going to be a parent, or you have parents. (laughs) This is important to you. Let me tell you how significant it is. Look, I want you to look for a moment at Psalm 128, 1 through 5. Psalm 128, 1 through 5. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. But here's what verse 3 says. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around the table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Here's what, say, here's what it's saying in Psalm 128, that it is so significant how we impact our children that they ultimately can become changers of the world. Psalm 128 is saying, blessed is the person who, who reveres the Lord, who has reverence for God, and because of that, he walks in righteousness. Now, he's so blessed because you see the benefits in his home. It says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine. This is not just about fertility. This is about what it means to produce healthy and flourishing Uh, family and children around you because you're walking with the Lord. He says your children will be like olive shoots, right? So you can't be a fruitful and healthy vine and be producing olive shoots. Anything that's a shoot or a bud means that the thing that is attached to is healthy because now it can grow. A lot of us are unhealthy vines and so we're wondering why we don't have any fruit in our children or why we have bad fruit and we can't say it's their fault because we're the vine. So the Bible is saying if you're healthy, what you produce will be healthy. But guess what? It won't just be in your house. It's not just for your house to be amazing and clean and orderly. And so you can tell everybody how wonderful your children are. It's bigger than that. It says when you produce healthy children in your home, you will have blessings, not just in Zion, where the Lord is, where the presence of the Lord is. That was the significance of that. But he says you'll have prosperity in Jerusalem. Then you'll see generational blessings. He said your children's children. And lastly, it'll say peace be upon Israel, the entire country. Can you imagine that the way that you impact your children, the way you support your friends or your family members that are parents, that you can not only affect a child, but it can change the world. This is the calling that the church has because in times like these, the role of the family is more critical than ever. 
it's more critical than ever. And so I want to give us some tools this morning to help us understand how we can do our very best to be healthy parents. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, there's no formula. And you may be thinking about all the exceptions, why some of these things seem impossible. It's no formula. I wish it was. I remember when we first, uh, our children are adopted, when we first adopted our son, our first child, oldest, my father sat me down. He said, listen, you're going to learn. There is no manual for parenting. No, nobody gives you a book and says, here's all the things you need to know. You are taking the word of God and trying to understand your child and do the best you can. So there's no judgment, parents. There's no judgment, village. Um, and if, you're, if you don't have kids, don't judge your parents. Just give them grace because they did the best they could. But we want to give you some tools this morning so that we can uh, become people who raise children, who influence children, uh, so that we can become people who change the world, impact the world for the glory of God. So let me give you a framework uh, real quick so you understand what we're what we're working with. Uh, we're talking about these phases of parenting. Now, if you're in the one to five year, you got kids one to five, you got little ones, you're in a discipline kind of phase. You're just trying to teach them right and wrong. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, tell the truth. You're in those early uh, foundational forming years. Discipline is like those one to five years. And then maybe uh, years five or six to 12, you're doing more training, right? You're trying to give good guidance along the way. And then coaching, 13 to 18, where you they know enough. Now you're just trying to encourage them and maybe uh, challenge them in some areas where they struggle. And lastly, where a lot of us may fall, friendship is the 18 and over. So if you've got kids that are 18 and over, you're in your friendship years. If you are a child of a parent, if you are a child, if you're an adult, you're over 18, you're in the friendship phase with your parents. And so all of these things that we're going to talk about today, you need to try to figure out what your lens is. You might be in two places. You might have kids in your home and be dealing with relationships with your own parents. You got to listen to these things, see them through the lens of where you are, and trust the Lord to give you the correction and realignment that you need, all right? So we're going to go through a handout. You'll see this uh, in the app on, on your screens. This is a really quick uh, handout that will hopefully be a good reference guide for us as we walk through what it means to be healthy parents. So there's three things that we need to see and three things that we need to show. So we'll start with the first one. The first thing that you need to see is yourself and your health. Somebody say yourself and your health. Your se- thank you, somebody. We say yourself and your health. That's the first thing that you need to see. Now, we're talking about character, right? This first little row is about character. Psalm 139 is a beautiful psalm. and It really is uh, David talking about how intimately uh, the Lord knows him, right? We, we understand that God knows everything. But it's fascinating. Uh, the first verse in that psalm and the last verse really give us a clue as to how important it is for us to understand our health. Psalm 139 verse 1 says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me, right? So he's like, Lord, you know everything. He goes on to say, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you know thoughts before they're even formed. And he goes on to talk about how well the Lord knows him. And you may know some of the other passages. You feel freely and wonderfully made, all those things. But then he ends the, the psalm with verses 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts or my anxious thoughts, your versions may say, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So he opens up saying, God, you searched me and know me. You know everything. 
Then he closes and says, but Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and try my thoughts. So God, wait a minute. Why am I asking you to search me when you've already searched me and known me? Because now I need you to search me, know me, and show me my stuff. I know you already know, Lord, but he says, if there be any grievous way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. And can I tell you something? Everybody, parents, the village, those of you dealing with your own parents, you have got to deal with yourself and your health first. Our dysfunction is one of the biggest issues that we have in the home. It is the idea of of this guy in the movie who has a dream that he's so intent on pursuing, he doesn't realize when it becomes dysfunctional. So we have to deal with our own health, realize where we're not healthy. You know, I'm thinking about how, how comfortable we've become with um, this awareness of our health because we're in these COVID-19 days and, you know, things are starting to open back up and some people are getting a little too excited, but, but we have a different awareness about our health, right? We are comfortable knowing that people might want to take our temperature. We're watching our symptoms. We're checking our own health more frequently. And, and we know that if there's symptoms, let alone a diagnosis, we are willing to quarantine. We're willing to, to isolate, to separate from everybody else, including those that we love because we want them to be safe. We don't want them to be infected with what we have. We know that if we're sick, we're contagious. Now, see, that's what it means to recognize when you're unhealthy. Seeing yourself and seeing your health says, I know when I've got junk that I need to deal with that is probably going to be contagious in my home. We, we seem to be more responsible for our health and dealing with this seasonal virus than we are generational infection. I don't know how we think that as as unhealthy people or people who have undealt with issues, we're somehow going to raise healthy, wonderful, stable children. Now, listen, God is good now. God is good and he is gracious. And in all of your junk, he will allow us to raise amazing children, right? Sometimes uh, our parents uh, do the best they can and, and God does the rest, right? So I'm not saying that, that God can't come in and save the day. I'm saying that we have a responsibility to deal with our own stuff. So you got to know your past. You got to know your hurts, know your baggage, right? Some of us are adults without children and we still dealing with baggage that our parents passed on. Deal with that because maybe one day you will be a parent. Maybe one day God will uh, put you in a parenting village. You have to still deal with your stuff. We have to be healthy so that we can raise healthy children. If you are single or or if you're a single mom, you got to deal with your stuff. If you're a grandparent, deal with your stuff because grandparents, you are important. But if you think that your grandchildren are your second go at what you didn't get right in parenting, you're going to jack up your grandchildren. Like everybody has a significant role when it comes to this parenting thing. Listen, Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Because Paul is saying, listen, I know we got issues. He's speaking to this issue that, that men can sometimes tend to be harsh or, or severe. Uh, it may look like belittling or irritation. Now, Colossians 3.21, Colossians 3.21 gives us a little more uh, explanation on that. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. 
Now, it's not that only men struggle with this. Clearly, anything related to children is for both parents. But it's not like Paul didn't know the word parents. Because earlier in Ephesians 6, he says, children, obey your parents. So he knew the word. But in these passages, he specifically says fathers. So maybe you are a father, or maybe you're dealing with stuff from your father. This is a big issue because he's saying, men, I know that you're going to have a tendency to let that anger build up. And it's not going to encourage your kids. It's going to discourage them. It's going to shut them down. They're going to spend their whole lives wondering why they could never please you, why they could never measure up. They're going to only do the things that you applaud, and you might not always be applauding the right things. And listen, every man's anger doesn't look like aggression and abuse and, and outward expression. Sometimes our anger looks like, in, inside, it looks like passivity, like we just shut down, we withdraw. I'm going to go in my room, I'm going to turn on the TV, I'm going to go for a drive. I'm not going to talk to y'all because y'all, y'all are getting on my nerves and I don't know what to do with you. Anger can look... Uh, a lot of different ways, but it affects our kids significantly. And single mom, let me say a prayer for you, because if you are trying to play the role of father and mother, you are wrestling with a lot of tension. You're trying to be this nurturer and this disciplinarian. You're trying to manage all of these things. You need extra support in your parenting village. We are praying for you, single moms, because that thing is real. He says, you've got to be aware of your emotions. That's basically what he's saying. You've got to be aware of your emotions because they not only make you unhealthy, they are contagious. They're going to change the way your kids find comfort and joy. They're going to change the the atmosphere of your home. You know what it's like when someone has anger issues or when someone's never pleased. It changes the atmosphere of the home. So he's saying you've got to see yourself and your health, which means you have to watch your emotions. So what do we do with this? We have to do the work. This is like one of my favorite phrases. I talk about it in purpose classes. I talk about it in Bible study. Do the work. Y'all, this Christian life, just because you got saved, doesn't mean that instantly everything in you was fixed. (laughs) You have to do the work. And and you might be working on something uh, in your early season of life, maybe as a teenager or a young adult, and then maybe you get married. That changes what you work on. If you become a parent, that changes what you work on. If you become a godparent, if you're if you become an aunt or an uncle all of these different phases make us deal with our stuff differently you might not have to deal with your parents issues until you have kids why wait till then he's saying work on it now know your stuff and keep the blame to yourself (laughs) don't it's not anybody else's fault and even if you uh, don't have kids right now now is not the time for you to say that's why I'm jacked up it's my parents fault (laughs) that is not the point of this message it's about forgiveness and saying you know what Maybe my parents, maybe my mom or dad didn't understand their own health, but I'm going to be better. I know they loved me. I know they did the best they can, but I'm going to be better. So this could be the time where you're forgiving. So here's the question. Here's what I want you to think about. What work do you need to do for your own health? Whether you are affecting children now or maybe one day you will, what work do you need to do for your own health? What stuff needs to be dealt with that you don't want to try to mask like we walk around now, we got our designer mask. Listen, that is not a prevention for anything. That, that's a little bit of protection, but it is not a guaranteed prevention. We don't want to mask symptoms and mask sickness. We want to deal with it. So what work do you need to be doing right now? Think about that. You may even want to leave us a little comment. But what do you need to be working on? And here's the, here's the other thing that has to do with our character. Not only do we need to see ourselves, see yourself, see your health. Here's the thing at the top. You need to show them that God is perfect and you are not. 
Show them God is perfect and you are not. Now, some of y'all are like, wait a minute, I am kind of perfect. See, that's the problem right there. So show them that God is perfect and you are not. What does that look like? It, it means that as a parent or a godparent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, as an adult dealing with children, it's okay to apologize. It's okay to own your stuff. It's okay to know when you're wrong. The, the biggest confusion you can send to kids is that you're asking them to do something and live by some standard, but you don't live by the same standard. And, and they see when you're different, when you go out in front of people or how everybody at church loves you or how everybody at work thinks you're amazing, but you come home and you're unpleasant. You come home and you're unkind. You come home and you're inconsistent. So you have to show them that God is perfect and you are not. Your best bet is to point them to Jesus and not to yourself because you're going to stumble. And when you stumble, it might make them fall. See, when you tell your kids, I am the standard, be like me, I never struggled with that, you should be able to work that out, you should be able to fix that, all they're thinking is how they do not measure up. But they're comparing themselves to the wrong standard. They're comparing themselves to you. And what we have to be saying as people who influence children, because parenting is really discipleship, what we need to be saying is, hey, don't look to me. I'm going to do my best, but I will fail. God is the only one who will be perfect and never fail, always come through, never disappoint, on time, protection, provision, has the right answer. He is the only one. See, I grew up in a house, and every time I left the house, y'all, my parents or my grandmother, she was the same way. They would say, listen, now when you go out, my maiden name uh, is Coben. And so they would say, don't forget that you're a Coben and you're a Christian, right? And I remember as I got older, one day my grandmother said, you know what? It really, just remember that you're a Christian first and then you're a Coben. She said, because I don't want you to think that your family name is greater than the name of Jesus. And so she said, when you go out, I need you to remember first your identity in Christ and second, the identity of this family. Now, if you're, if you're like me, you grew up in a house where your mom and dad were like, listen, don't go out there and embarrass me. Don't go out there and don't act like you have any home training. Y'all know. Go out there and act like you have some good sense, right? Because as parents, we want people to understand that when they see you, which is a representation of us, that you know what you're doing, you've been trained, you got good manners and good sense. And those things are important. But what if we said, instead of don't go out there and embarrass me or embarrass us, don't go out there and disappoint God. Right? Don't go out there and do something that you know would break God's heart. Because actually, if you are concerned about not disappointing God, you won't embarrass me. That, that'll be the byproduct. I don't want you to be driven by getting in trouble for me as a parent. I want you to be driven by pleasing God and not breaking his heart. If you please God, you will please me. Can you imagine just the shift in how we, how we teach our kids? So we have to, have to change that whole mentality. And here's, here's a quick thing that, that I think is so fascinating in the Bible about how important it is to point your children to God early. Listen, the second part of Ephesians 6, 4, it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. It says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So you're talking about the consistency. Y'all, listen, when we were young and uh, we were between churches, because we grew up in a church, uh, a traditional Baptist church for a little while, which is a, which is a good church for a while, we reached a certain age. And I remember my dad saying, mm, I don't really know what they have for students and for youth. And uh, let's, let's go find a church. And so we went and found another church. And I remember Sunday after Sunday after Sunday visiting 
leaving churches. My mom was a nurse, so she was at work a lot of Sundays. And my dad was like, get up early, get dressed. We're going to this church this week. And we did it for months until we found a place that he said, yes, my children can grow here. That was the consistency I saw in my father. With my mother, I knew that somewhere around the house was going to be an open Bible and a little devotional pad because every morning she got up and she was a nurse and had to be to work at four in the morning. But she got up before then to have her time with the Lord. So these were things that even when my parents made me mad and they got on my nerves or they frustrated me or I saw them fail, I did not feel like, aha, you you telling me something and you can't even do it. That's not how I felt. I felt like parents, they make mistakes. I remember when I got to the point and I realized I could love my parents in their failures and in their flaws because they had pointed me to God and not to themselves. It's so critical for us to do this as parents. Look, I want you to read a little story in 2 Timothy. I want you to learn something if you didn't know this about Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, through, 2 Timothy 1, 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, he's writing a letter to his disciple. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you. Now he goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Verses 14 through 15, he says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, right? That's Grandmother Lois and Mother Eunice. And he says, And how from childhood, childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's like, Listen, I know that as the old folks say, you had a praying grandmother, you had a praying grandmother, and a praying mother, because they are the ones that imparted this truth in you at an early age. And I was like, dang, well, what about Timothy's father? Could, could his father had had a, have had a role? But look, Acts 16, chapter 1, that's why you got to read the whole Bible so you can know the whole story. Acts 16, chapter 1 says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Okay, now y'all might have missed that. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. That means that Timothy, disciple of Paul, an author in the Bible, was raised by a believing mother and an unbelieving father, which means his mother and his grandmother were the people who imparted faith into him, who taught him God's word. So single moms, there's hope for you. If you are a spiritually single mom and your, your husband is not on the same page, he's not about that church thing, he's not about that Jesus thing, you feel like you're fighting an uphill battle, Timothy is your evidence. Your children can be just like Timothy. You can speak faith into them. If you are in the parenting village and you've got friends raising children and they're not raising them in the fear of the Lord, you, friend, auntie, uncle, godparent, you can be the one that speaks truth into those children. If you get them once a month, you get them once every three months, speak truth into them. You never know what God is going to do with that seed. So you've got to see yourself and your health and you've got to show them that God is perfect and you're not. Now, here's the next thing you have to see. Now we're talking about purpose, okay? We're trying to direct our children. We got to see your kids through God's lens. That's the blank in your handout or on your app or however you're taking your notes. See your kids through God's lens. Now, this is all about understanding the way God has wired our children or understanding the way God has wired the children he's given us to influence. Listen, Proverbs 22:6 says, "Train up a child in the way he should go." And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So this idea is to say that you train up a child, you send them on a path, and it says in the way he should go. Not the way you want them to go. 
Listen, this is the way that God has wired them. Their, their natural capacity and inclination. And can I just tell you right now, parents and single parents and grandparents and godparents, you're going to have kids in your life and they are not like you. They don't have your personality. They don't like the things that you like. And you have got to say, this is the way God made this child. How do I give instruction and truth without trying to remake the child? Can I tell you something? Your child, as an adult, will never have an identity crisis or a midlife crisis if they have always been trained up in the way God created them. The reason why we have midlife crisis and identity crisis is because we realize at some point that we have always been trying to please our mother or please our father or, or, or break some promise or, or get over some stereotype. And we've been living this life that's not even us. And then we wake up one day and realize I'm not even, I don't even like my life. I'm, I may be successful. Maybe I've achieved some things, but this is not me. And so then we start new careers at 45 when you could just have a home that raises you in the way God has created you to be from the beginning. And maybe you've got older kids or kids out of the home. It's okay. All of this is still relevant because you're in that friendship phase and you can pray for them. You can encourage them to take that risk, to step out on faith and do the thing that God has called them to do. You can apologize if you did not train them in that way. You can say, you know what? I told you to go into accounting because accounting made good money. I wasn't trying to hear no photography because you know how we are. We're like, wait a minute, does that pay? What does that pay? So that may be your hobby, but you still need to go to college so you can have an income so you can be out of my house. So maybe you have older kids and you might need to say, you know what? I didn't really encourage that gift in you, but that's okay. God can still do something. You have to train kids in the way that God has created them. Now, my two have very different temperaments. My youngest is a very straightforward. She is a truth teller, whether you ask for it or not. Uh, she has no filter. She is very direct. I, I try not to, I try really hard not to say bossy. I just say that she's a leader and I have to let her know sometimes she can't lead me. But one day the Lord is going to use you greatly in the name of Jesus, but you can't lead me. All right. You're going to lead somebody. He's going to do great things with you. But in this home, I just need a yes, ma'am. And you to carry on with your business. Now, my son uh, is the emotional one. He is the feeler. He feels deeply. If you have a bad day, I mean, since he was a little baby, he'll come and just say, are you okay? What do you need? He wants to give presents to everybody. I mean, he just, he, he don't understand the value of money. He just spend, he just, he don't make any money. So any money you have, he just like, go buy that. Go give that to this person. He's just a compassionate empathizer, but he's also free spirited. If I sit him down in a chair and I say, read this book or, or clean up your room, I can guarantee you it's going to be done in a way I never would have imagined. So I have a video because I have to show you exactly how different they are because it has been a challenge for me to uh, love them in the way that God has created them. So check this out. So you can see really how different these kids are. Look at Joe. He dancing in the rain. This is my child, y'all. He <laughs> he's dancing because he's like, it's raining outside. Surely, this is the time to dance. I love my, this one, the mama. Joe, don't go too far. You going, Chloe? Look at them steps. She's like, eh, this don't seem wise. <laughs> Just watching this nut out here. Oh. She's like, let me just keep an eye on him. Y'all, I'm not making it up. Listen, 
Everything in me wanted to say, don't go out in the rain. You're going to get sick. You're going to catch pneumonia. You're going to catch corona. You're going to catch something. It's wet out there. You don't go out in the rain. It's not safe. Cars are coming. Lightning's going to strike. I am very much like, no, let's assess the risk. This is not smart. I'm like Chloe. I'm free-spirited, but I would probably be back there closer to the garage. Now, for Chloe, her stepping out on faith, her big risk was coming out of the garage. Because what you didn't see is the first 10 minutes we were out there, she was in the garage yelling at my son, come in, be careful, watch out. And then she asked me, at one point, mommy, where's your shoes? I said, I, I don't know where your shoes are. But here's the thing about it. I had to ask myself in that moment, it seems like such a trivial thing, right? Are you going to play in the rain or come inside? But in that moment, it was a, a, the Lord speaking to me as a Holy Spirit moment saying, it's not that big of a deal. Let him go outside. Let him be who he is without the shoes. Let him go out there and play in the rain. Whole dance routine. I mean, the video went on forever. And let her sit right here. Let her be contemplative. She's kind of assessing whether or not this is a good idea. And when I say, are you going to go out there? If y'all saw that microscopic step that she took, she was like, eh, that's about all I'm going to get. I'm not going to push her out there to have fun with him. I'm not going to drag him in here to be safe with her. Raising them up in the way that God has wired them says, even if you don't understand, even if that's if that's not your preference, if it's not a sin, y'all, let them be who they're going to be. It's not that big of a deal. If you are so set forth about hair color and hair length and what it looks like now, I promise you, the more you shut down the small things, it's just going to build up. And when they don't have to obey you anymore, they're going to do the big things because you never let them have any freedom. Let them be who they are. If you have introverted children, introverted grandchildren, let them sit in the corner and read the book. It's okay. They don't have to be super social. Figure out the way God has wired them, and then you can pour into them specifically in a way that fits the way they are shaped. So you can have this power to to shape them in this way that God has already created. God God has given you the blueprint. Now we we get to fill in the details as parents. So here's your question. How are you training your children? How are you training your grandchildren? You can't, if you're in the parenting village, your job is not to contradict the parent and say, oh, I disagree. We're going to do it this way. No, no, no. You still have to support and be prayerful about how, your, how the parents are handling it, but you do still have a role in training. If, if you don't have kids, maybe, maybe you're single or, or not married without kids, you might be thinking now, gosh, did I, was I really raised in a way that fits who I am? Because maybe it's time to reassess that. And it's okay. Forgive your parents if they didn't do it perfect. We're learning as we go. But it is so significant to train them in the way that God has created them because he has wired them that way for a reason. Here's the second thing. You have to show them that God's way is the best way. Show them that God's way is the best way. This is, this is the ability to point your kids to the truth of God. The scripture that never changes is always relevant. Because I can tell you this, uh, the culture will always challenge what God has to say. Now, you, you, you have to understand that you've got, you are the first one responsible for speaking truth, speaking scripture, speaking God's word into your child's life. Now, the issue is, if you don't know enough scripture, you don't have none to speak, okay? Now, I'm not talking about scripting their lives. You're not telling them, here's what you say, here's how you act in every situation. You are speaking truth and letting God work the truth out in their hearts. Y'all, you have got to show them that God's way is the best way. This is how you are going to raise kids. This is how you're going to influence children to have godly character, not by controlling and micromanaging their lives. Listen, this is supposed to be like like guardrails. If you've ever been to a bowling alley, you know what they do for small children? They put these, these bumpers in the gutters so that when they roll the ball, it can never fall into the gutter. 
That, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the guardrails that keep that thing from falling into the gutter, not the cage. He's not saying create a cage where there's no freedom so that one day when they finally are free, they start acting crazy because they never had freedom in small doses. That's not what he's saying. Show them that God's way is the best way by using the scripture as guardrails. Speak life into them. When your kids are struggling, I don't care if they're your adult children, if they're your grandchildren, if they're your nieces and nephews, when they are struggling with doubt, with anxiety, with worry, with fear, you have got to be able to speak God's truth into them. They need to know that God has not given them a spirit of fear, but one of a sound mind. They need to know that what they put on their minds, according to Philippians 4, 8, is important, that they need to think on things that are praiseworthy and true. And when your teenagers are scrolling through social media and they're depressed by what they see because all they do is compare themselves to other teenagers, or when your middle schoolers are miserable because they are realizing the peer pressures of life, you've got to tell them, listen, take all your anxiety to the Lord. Don't be anxious for any anything. The Bible has an answer for you. Because here's what happens as Christian parents. We will not speak the truth into them, but then they get disciplined when they don't act like they know it. Now, you cannot punish a kid for not knowing truth and you didn't pour it into him. That doesn't work. You, you can't punish the grandchild or the godchild. You can't, you can't punish your adult child because now you have a different relationship with the Lord in your older years, and now you're trying to throw all kinds of truth at them, but you didn't pour it into them. And now you want to punish. That's not how it works. We have to have the word in us so we can pour it into our children. Not our words, not just our advice, but the word of God. Because that's what will stay with them. That's what will come back to them. And if you're in the friendship phase and you've got older children, it's not too late. When they call, when they have issues, when they have complaints, when they have worries, Pray with them. Speak God's word over them. Don't say, I told you you never should have, or we didn't raise you that way. That's not what they need to hear. They need to know that there's truth in God's word for them. So speak that over their lives. Show them that God's way is the best way. Y'all, the village is really important. I keep talking about the village. Parents know that this is their role, but the village is important. Can I just tell you that my grandmother's house, my grandmother, we, we talk about her. She's 92. But growing up in my grandmother's house was not like go to granny's house because you're going to get everything you want and get your way. My grandmother was not playing. My grandmother's house was like my parents' house. She carried the same rules, sometimes stricter, and she carried the same discipline and the same values. And that's what's important with the village. When I, when I send my kids to my sister's house or to a friend's house or someone else that I've allowed into my life is, is pouring into those kids, I need that consistency. If you in the village, you got to be consistent with those, with those children's parents. If you're, if you're wanting to be a parent or will be one day, you've got to understand this consistency. Y'all, my grandmother did not play. We would get up and go turn on that TV for cartoons. <laughs> she would go in there and turn that thing off and be like, I didn't see, did I hear a Bible crack open? We're going to have devotions first. And then after you had devotions, she wanted a summary. Like, what was it about? What did, what did, it, what did you get out of that? What do you think the Lord is saying? I was like, I don't know. I'm eight. She was like, well, you know what these cartoons are saying, so you better know what the Word of God is saying. She wasn't playing, and it's like, oh, can we go to McDonald's? Can we have cookies? She was like, you can have them on Friday if you act right this week. She was not about all of this get whatever you want just because it's grandparents, because it's like your grandmother's house, right? She was consistent, and she was a, a warrior and a woman of faith that shaped me significantly. She shaped me as much as my parents did. That's how important the village is. And if you're here in North Texas or wherever you're watching, and maybe you don't have a lot of family around you, 
pray for the village. You need to pray that God brings people around you that can partner with you as you raise your kids because, y'all, it takes a village. Even with mom and dad at home, it takes a village. So show them that God's way is the best way. That's a good question for us. Are we teaching that to our children? Maybe you need to ask yourself, am I pointing them to God's truth or am I giving them my advice? And am I telling my children or my grandchildren what I would have done or am I telling them what God wants them to do? So pointing them and showing them that God's way is the best way, right? Here's the last thing. You need to see the way your kids see the world. The last thing in our handout, that last column, now we're talking about choices. We've talked about character, a purpose, why they're here. Now we're talking about choices, how they make choices. See the way your kids see the world. See the way your kids see the world because the way they see the culture is going to shape what their values are. So you as a Christian parent, you as a part of the village, you as maybe a future or potential parent, you're trying to take in all of this truth of God so you can pour it into them. But you've also got to know that you are combating a culture that's going to always try to steer them the other way. Can I tell you something? If you watch and observe their behavior, you will understand their values. This is a fascinating proverb that I've never seen before. Proverbs 2011. Proverbs 2011 says, even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. Can you imagine that, that the Bible is telling us that if we are observant and watch, that our kids will show us what their intentions are. So you don't have to always be uh, invading their space and hoarding and hovering and, and, and trying to watch their every move. He says, if you're just observant, the Holy Spirit will show you. The Holy Spirit will reveal things to you that you never would have been able to see on your own. I can't tell you how many phone calls I got in college right on the verge of foolishness. And my mom would just be like, I'm just checking on you. I'm like, right now? You checking on me right now? It's the Lord, y'all. He'll do it. And I'm just grateful, by the way, that there was no social media when I was in college because, Lord, have mercy, Jesus. It's some amens from some Gen Xers in the room. Hallelujah. Okay, because the Lord knows the era. The Lord knows the era. My parents didn't need no evidence. When I came home from college, they were like, we're praying for you, but we don't want to talk about it. So we don't want to know what you're doing out there. But we're praying for you. You know better. And my mom and dad would be like, if you're not doing right, we don't have to come and check on you. We don't have to pop up and drop in because we got the Holy Spirit. He's going to check you. He's going to do it for us. That's what happens when your parents raise you in the fear of the Lord. You're doing wrong. And you start hearing voices like, who is that? And the Lord is like, yeah, it's me. Go home. Take yourself home. So you have to show, uh, see the way your kids see the world. That is so important, being able to relate to them. And as your kids get older, uh, teenagers in college or out of college or as adults, and, and they start to have different values, you can't just shut down what they value. You can't just say, no, no, that's not wrong. That's, that's wrong. That's a sin. Don't do that. You have to first relate to what's important to them, and then you redirect it. Even in your friendship stages, even in your adult kids, you know we do it in our small kids. We do it at every age. You relate first and then you redirect. If your toddler is having a meltdown or, or your young child is, is in their emotions, you say, I understand why you might be sad. However, this is what we're going to do. I understand why you might want to do this. However, this is the choice. You relate and then you redirect. And when your kids get older, you do the same thing. Hey, I understand why you think this is going to be a good choice, but this is what I would suggest that you do. And then you back away. You let the Lord handle it. But you've got to first see the way your kids see the world because a lot of times we create disconnects because we're not even trying to understand their context. We're just like, do what I say, thus saith the Lord, the end. And then all we do is create gaps in our relationships with our children. So you've got to see the way that your kids see the world. 
our generation today is obsessed with fame. They don't want to be famous for any particular reason. They just want to be well known. And you can't just say, oh, it doesn't matter. Fame is stupid. You should ignore that, disregard that. No, you got to say, I understand that because everything around you is about followers and, and, and views and likes. I get this generation that you're growing up in. I understand why fame seems like a good goal. However, the Lord tells us that we were created for purpose. So we have to be doing something. And if he chooses to make us famous, then so be it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You relate first and then you redirect. So you've got to understand whatever phase, whatever season of life your kids are at to understand their context. And then you can give them some conviction and challenge them with truth and love. Okay. The last thing is you have to show them that God has a unique purpose and plan. God has a unique purpose and plan for them. Psalm 127.4. Psalm 127.4 says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. So God is saying, listen, every time I I create a child, there's a, a child that's created, conceived, and born, and God says, I have a plan for them. They are arrows. And I've never seen an arrow pick itself up and send itself in a direction. So in God's grace, he takes us, even though we're flawed and we're fallen and we got issues, he says, I'm going to give you the privilege of taking these arrows, warrior, and directing them somewhere. But you've got to know the target. You've got to know where you're sending them. You've got to do the work in prayer and in observation on your children's behalf because God has wired them for something that only they can do. Do not let them lust after something someone else is doing, waste their life being second and third best at trying to be somebody else when God has something that only they can do. You have got to take them as arrows and direct them toward a target that you know is God's target. You release them, release them, and you watch them go. That's what it means to understand that God has a unique purpose and plan for your children. They have to believe that exactly the way they are wired, exactly the way they are made, what they love, their passions, that those things are not to be ashamed of, that those things are not to be kept secret, that there are, there's a God who has a plan for those things. They don't have to look to a celebrity. They don't have to look to an actor or a musician to figure out who they should be. That God already knew that before they were born, he had a plan for their lives. And if you are not convincing them of that, if you are telling them that the plan is about money and income and status and appearance and looking godly and just knowing your verses and acting like a Christian on the outside, but being confused on the inside, you're going to raise some jacked up children, church. You're going to raise some jacked up children. And then they're going to be in therapy. And then you're going to be having issues while y'all are those because now they're mad at you. They realize all the things that went wrong in their childhood. All I'm saying is we have a chance to get this right. And I need you to be encouraged that regardless of whatever age or stage your children are at, that God can do something in you as a parent. God may do something in you as an adult as you relate to your parents. Can I tell you, it's never too late to apologize. It's never too late to speak truth. It's never too late to pray. Because this is what we do as parents. This thing really never goes away. It's a progressive thing, but it never really goes away. You know, in the early years, we direct them. We tell them everything. They in this sweet phase, y'all. They're babies. They strapped in. They can't go nowhere. It's wonderful. They go only where you take them. All you need is a little bit of goldfish and some Cheerios, and, and life will be okay. They sit there. They're generally content, and you get to direct everything, right? They have no say-so. 
But then they get a little bit older, a little bit of independence. And so now uh, they, they think they have a little bit of a sense of direction. And, and they are steering. They can steer up here a little bit, but you got your hand on the handle and you can steer it too. And they have a little bit of support back here because they can't really do it all by themselves. But they need to learn how to pedal. They need to learn how to move forward on their own. But you're still uh, having a lot of control, and that's okay. But they get a little bit bigger, y'all, and they have even more control, right? And we as parents, our, our hand comes off of the handlebar. Our hand comes off of the thing, and now we become this support, these training wheels, so that when they're in this phase, and maybe when they start to lean to the left or to the right, we catch them right before they fall. But they have to figure out a little bit on their own. And as they get even bigger, we come back and we say, okay, I got you. I'm going to give you the helmet. I'm going to give you what you need to be safe. But there's no training wheels here, not because you're irrelevant as a parent, not because you've outgrown your role, but your role has evolved. And now you're saying, I'm here as a coach. I'm cheering you on. You got it. When you fall, I'll be here to help clean you up. I'll be here to help redirect you. That's what it means in this phase. And then they become healthy adults, y'all. And now you're the friend that says, hey, when you need prayer, when you need encouragement, when you still need to be reminded of God's truth, I will do it. I will do it in a way that's loving. I'm not going to do it in a way that's controlling. See, some of us have adult children that we have over here in this stroller, and we're trying to control their lives, and we're saying, why are you doing this? Ask me, check with me, and for some of us as parents, you know, money is our currency, so we say, I'll pay for it. You owe me. I still have say-so in your life. We got adult children that we're pushing around in strollers. We're wondering why they're not healthy. And some of us are so concerned with, with our careers and our busyness, we've passed on our children. So we got babies over here falling on 10-speed bikes because they're too young to have the amount of independence that we've given them. So you have to constantly assess, where is my child and what is my role in their life? Every child is different. Every parenting role is different. But I believe that if we are diligent about understanding who we are first, ourself and our health, understanding that God is perfect and we are not, and then showing our kids that he has a plan, he has a purpose, his way is best, that they are perfect just the way they are created, that we can create some healthy partnerships. We can be healthier parents. We can be healthier members of the parenting village. As adults, we can have healthier relationships with our parents. And ultimately, it's not for our own peace. It's not so we can have a resume that says, look at me, I'm an amazing parent. It's so that we can change Zion and we can change Jerusalem. We can change Israel. It's so we can change our home and this city, this community, this state, this nation, and the world because our homes are healthy. Church, do you understand the weight and the privilege of this role? That this is not just about having an orderly home. This is about changing the world for the glory of God. And it starts with us being healthy. So my challenge for you today is asking yourself, where do I need to do the work? What conversations do I need to have? Maybe your children are older. Maybe, maybe you are needing to mend some things with your parents. Maybe you're a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle and you need to be more intentional more prayerful as a part of that village, not just judgmental, but more prayerful as a part of that village. What is your role? I believe that God is going to speak to you today and show you what your role is because this is how we are going to change the world. God, I just thank you so much for every person watching, for every person who is hearing this word today. I know that you have truth for them regardless of their season, 
I pray that you would release any parents of regret because if they think it's too late to change, God, would you show them it's never too late to begin to speak truth, to begin to pray. For, for parents of young ones who feel overwhelmed and, and who feel uncertain, would you show them that there is a purpose and a plan? If they rely on you, God, you can do it. You can change it. For those of us in the village, God, would you burden us with the children that we need to be praying for? For the future parents, God, would you help us to store up this truth so we can know how to walk in a way that's healthy, God? And would you help us to mend relationships, to forgive, to give grace to our parents, that we can love them where they are, but still not repeat the things that they messed up? God, we love you and we thank you so much for this privilege that you would trust us to send these children like arrows toward targets for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I hope this was a blessing for you. I hope this is a good tool, a good reference for you. Church, it has been a great Sunday. And now I have even more good news. In the midst of all of our virtual membership classes, we actually have people that we are inviting to receive the right hand of fellowship today. The Bible says that when the assemblies gather and new people come, the elders extend the right hand of fellowship. And so now Pastor Matt is going to kick it off and help you to meet our new members. Thank you.